Now, the book of James tells us that every good thing come, ultimately comes from God. So if you, if you make a list of every good thing in your life, it's a good thing to do every now and again. Count your blessings, right? If you wrote down every good thing in your life, you would be looking at a list of things that all came equally from God, right? But would you say just because they all came from God, would you say that they are all equally important? Or would there be some things on your list that are more important than others? If you were told you were going to be taken and put on a desert island, and you could only take, say, five things with you, you wouldn't let someone else just pick five things at random, would you? Because they all come from God. No, some things are more important than others. I think the scriptures are that way too. When, when Paul wrote to Timothy, the second letter, Paul said this to young Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God or God breathed and it's useful. So everything in this book, I believe, was inspired to be put there by God. It's all good. It's all useful. It's all equally inspired. But I don't think it's all equally useful. And I don't, I'm not saying anything that I think is controversial or uh, heretical or anything like that. I think this is just logic. It's all useful, but it's not all equally useful. Let's say you went on a mission trip next, and you went someplace less friendly to the gospel than Travis found the Ugandan government to be, and your host told you, and we have reason to believe the authorities are going to come in here, and they're going to try to rid us of all aspects of the scripture. They're going to, con they're going to confiscate our electronics and our libraries, and they're going to get rid of all of our Bibles. And our hypothetical friend told you, we don't think we can risk saving entire Bibles. So what we're going to try to do is we're just, we just want to tear out just a few pages. And what if he asked you, what pages should I tear out? No one who knows the Bible would say, well, it's all equally inspired by God. So just at random, thumb through here and stop at a certain point and just tear out that page Nobody would do that. It's all equally inspired. It's all useful. But it's not all equally useful. If you gave him that advice to just pull out blindly, you know what would happen? He would be stuck the rest of his life and he would only have like a genealogy to read and the directions for building the tabernacle. And months later, you would get a letter from your friend and it would say, I can no longer show anyone how they can be redeemed by God from the scriptures, but I can show them that the table of showbread was supposed to be 1.5 cubits tall. And I could show them that the, the covering for the tabernacle was made in part with porpoise skins. That's what I can show them. And he would add, sometimes I dream of strangling you with my bare hands. And that would all because of that terrible advice you gave him. I hope you are proud of yourself. Well, if that were a real story, and our friend asked me, what should I tear out and hide? I think I might tell him today's passage. 
I think it's that big of a deal. Martin Luther, the Martin Luther, said this about today's passage. He called this paragraph the chief point of the book of Romans and also the whole Bible. Now, it's not that everything we've read before this passage in the book of Romans has been unimportant or unuseful. It's just it's been kind of preparatory. Moses, uh, wrong author. Paul has written everything he has written so that we would be prepared to receive this. Today is the heart of the gospel. There is a lot in here. I hope your brains are on. I know you're an hour asleep behind. But there's a lot in this thing. It's packed. We are returning to the main idea that Paul already told us about. In the introduction, Romans 1.16, Paul said he was telling the Romans, don't listen to anybody that tells you I don't want to show up or I'm scared to come to Rome to talk about this gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because, Paul said, the gospel is the only way God's power can be pointed at people in a way where they are saved rather than condemned by God. The gospel is the way God's righteousness is shown to the world. That's what Paul's going to tell us about today. But before he told us that, starting in the very next verse after these two that are on the screen right here, in the last couple of months, everything from 1.18 to 3.20 is about why people like you and me, why we all need this gospel Paul's going to tell us about today. Because we're all without excuse before God. We will all stand before God one day. And if we stand there apart from this gospel, if we stand before God just hoping God thinks we are good enough based on our own behavior, Paul has told us we are in a lot of trouble. Because not only will we be condemned, Paul's greater point is that God will be correct when he condemns us. We are all without excuse It doesn't matter how hard we try to keep the law. It doesn't even matter if we know the right set of rules to live by. We can't can't do it. That's where the law has left us. Today, Paul will say, but now. But now things have changed. But now people have a chance But now, these people, like you and me, people who have suppressed the truth that there's a real God out there I'm accountable to, we have traded the truth that my best life would be thanking and honoring and glorifying Him. We've swapped that out for the lie that my life would really be better if I just try to make myself as comfortable, as happy, as popular, as rich as possible. That's what earns us the wrath of God, Paul has told us. But now, people like us, we have a chance to be right before God. And today, Paul's going to tell us how and why it works and what God was doing when he dreamed up this plan to begin with. That is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. It is the epicenter. It is the ground zero of the gospel There's a lot in here. Turn your brains on. We're going to read it and then dive into this great gospel. Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. 
Paul says this, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or made available, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This righteousness I'm talking about is the righteousness of God that comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ or through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But people are being justified as a gift by God's grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his bloody death through faith. And all this was to demonstrate God's righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, God was passing over all of the sins that had been previously committed. For the demonstration, Paul says, of God's righteousness at the present time. So that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And that is the gospel. What's all that mean? Well, Paul begins in verse 21 and verse 22 by letting us know that after the cross of Jesus Christ, we are in a new era of the world. And Paul says something, especially those of us who have grown up in church and we've heard all these churchy things for so long, sometimes we can miss how remarkable some of these things are that Paul says. Paul says, but now, he says this, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. Now for thousands of years, there are two things Paul just slammed together in the same sentence that would have never gone together in the same sentence. Do you hear what they are? The righteousness of God, Paul says, is apart from, separate from the law. That would have been a mind-blowing statement to anyone who knew anything about God's law. For thousands of years, Israel had the law. The law is where God codified, wrote down what human righteousness would look like. You want to know what righteousness looks like? Read the law. Paul says, but now, the righteousness of God is separate from that law. You know, at our, at our root, at our heart, I'm convinced we are all naturally legalists. You know what that means? We want, we want to get what we deserve, and we want others to recognize that we deserve more than we've got. I think almost all of us, our, our default position of our heart is, if things are going well, we want to feel like we are getting what we deserve. And when things are going poorly, you know what we tend to think? I deserve more. I'm not getting what I deserve. We want to feel like we have earned our keep. We've worked hard. We're getting what we deserve, or we deserve so much more based on how hard we have worked. And we think our position before God is that way too. I want to be good enough that God will accept me based on who I am and what I've done. 
Paul says, the righteousness God requires has now been disclosed to people apart from the law. That means not through religious ceremonies, even one God says we should be doing, not through our obedience, not through anything we can do. Paul pauses in verse 21. This translation puts it in parentheses. Paul pauses to just say, I'm not making up anything new. The law always said God's righteousness would be bestowed apart from the law. I won't go back into the Old Testament to show you, but the old covenant was the law. God promised there'll be a new covenant and forgiveness of sins will come through a new covenant that is not the law. That's what Paul is referring to here. But in verse 22, after bringing up that this righteousness God requires, real righteousness, that God will look at and say, now that's righteousness. Real righteousness, namely the righteousness of God, Paul says it comes through, and now we've got to pause and talk about what Paul maybe means. Here's what Paul says, like literally, if I'm just going to take the Greek words and put English words uh, in their place in order, it would say something like this. Paul says, the righteousness of God comes through faith, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. And there's two ways to understand what Paul means. Traditionally, most of our Bibles say this. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, the righteousness of God comes to, Paul will say it at the end here, to all who believe. If you want God to think you are righteous, to count you righteous one day, you better come to believe and what Jesus did at the cross. That's the traditional view of this. It's a biblical thing. Paul's going to say that same thing over and over and over again. The only people God counts righteous are those who believe on Jesus Christ. I'm just not sure that's what Paul says right here. Paul says, the righteousness of God didn't come from our obedience. I think Paul kind of means it comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and those two aren't the same thing. Answer a question for me, a couple of them. Based on everything Paul has said so far in Romans, could you, could I, could any of us be faithful enough enough for God to look at us at our judgment and say, you are righteous? Could any of us be that faithful? No. That's the whole point of what we've been studying in the last, like, two months, right? There's no one righteous, not even... Not even one. All have sinned, Paul will say, fall short of the glory of God. None of us are good enough. Now answer this question. Who was faithful enough for God to look at and say, that is my one beloved child in whom I am well pleased? Who was that? Jesus. Jesus was the only one who actually was faithful enough to obey everything God said in the law, everything God asked him to do, even death on a cross. I think what Paul says here is righteousness can come to people apart from the law. The righteousness of God comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We can't be faithful. He could be faithful. Now, who gets counted righteous? Then Paul says it at the end. All who believe in Jesus get counted righteous by God, not through their own faithfulness to the law, but because Jesus was faithful. Now, 
Faith in Jesus Christ is what is our requirement. Paul's going to say that over and over and over again. The rest of this passage is going to be Paul explaining how this works. The requirement for eternal life is that you be found righteous by the judge of the universe. Paul just, we just spent two months looking at Paul's conclusion. None of us can be that. But there is a way that God's righteousness can be handed down to us just because Jesus was faithful and we believe in what he did. That's the rest of the passage. First, Paul's going to answer this question. Well, why? Why must righteousness extend to people who just believe in Jesus? Why? Well, because the real answer is because if it was based on our behavior, how many people would be saved? None. Paul says God's righteousness extends to people who believe. Why? Because God's going to be really fair. In the verse 22 says there's no distinction. God's going to be fair and impartial in his judgment. He doesn't care what family you were born into. He doesn't care what ethnicity you are. He's going to judge everyone impartially. And that's bad news if you're going to stand before God apart in your own righteousness because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is not you used to have the glory of God and when you sinned your first sin, that was it. You lost it. That's not what this means. That'd be blasphemy. Uh, the, there are angels in heaven who were created eons and eons and eons ago. They've never sinned one sin. And if you asked an angel if they have the glory of God, they would say, watch your mouth. Right? Here's what this means. We were created on purpose for a purpose. What's our purpose? Why were you made by your creator? To glorify the one, to make look good the one who created you. That's what we fell short of, right? We threw that away a long time ago. We suppressed the truth. We bought the lie. We made the exchange. I don't live my life glorifying God. I decided my life would be better if I spend it glorifying me. That's how I fall short of the glory of God. All of my actual sins come out of that one sin. So Paul says, this righteousness of God comes apart from our behavior through faith. Why? If God didn't do it that way, no one would be saved. And God promised he would save some. So how does this faith get us the righteous requirement that we need? That's the rest of the passage. Verse 24 is where Paul tells us how God took us from this tragedy where we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in verse 24, Paul says this, but they, that's all of us who have fallen short of the glory of God, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. People like us who decided not to live our life Honoring, glorifying, and thanking God, but we made that terrible exchange. We live for us. We fall short of the glory of God. Can still be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we have to zero in on some words here as we go through the rest of this passage. And the first one is right there. Paul says, 
those of us who have sinned and fall short, we are justified by our faith. Justified, when Paul wrote that word in the first century, his audience would have immediately pictured a courtroom. It's a legal word. The closest thing we have in our vernacular is if Paul would have said being declared not guilty. If I say those words, declared not guilty, don't you think of court? That's where you hear that. Justified was sort of the Roman equivalent. You were declared righteous. That's what justified means, declared righteous. When Paul says, those of us who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we can still be justified. What Paul means is the judge of the universe, God in his courtroom, can look at you and say, justified, righteous, not guilty. You want to keep it in our vernacular? Behaviorally, we always aim to act like Jesus, but the best we can hope for is to be like O.J. You know that? O.J. Simpson, accused of double homicide, right? What did the judge and jury say? Not guilty. He had fallen short. He was guilty, but the declaration of the court was not guilty. You know, that is the best you and I can hope for in God's court. Because the gloves fit and he should not acquit. If you remember, that's a dated reference now, but some of you get it. Justified just means to be declared legally to be righteous. It does not mean to be made actually righteous. When that court declared OJ not guilty, did that mean he was actually innocent? No. But he was declared as if he were. One day, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are justified and God declares you righteous. One day, God will make you literally perfect. But that's called glorification. That's a sermon for a different day. When you go to be with him, he will make you like Jesus. How I wish I could tell you, if you believe in Jesus, you will never sin again. How I wish that were true. But that's not, that's not the good news. You know what the good news is? The good news is, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can have the verdict of the judge before the rest of your crimes are even committed. That's the gospel. You're justified. Like, when you come to believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross, the God of the universe bangs the gavel already and says, that's it, court adjourned, case dismissed, this one, justified. Not guilty, but not only not guilty, like perfect, legally. And for the rest of your life, Satan is in heaven saying, oh, 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 did you see that thing he did that day? Justified. Not guilty. Legally perfect. That's the beauty of the gospel. We get the verdict before the crimes. Some of them. That's the miracle of justification. 
And Paul says, well, how do, we, how do we get such a gift? How do we get such a verdict? Excuse me. Justification becomes, comes freely as a gift of God's grace. We want to earn this. We want to have deserved this. We even want to spend the rest of our lives paying God back for what he did so that at the end of our lives we can feel like we were worthy of it. It don't work that way. We want to earn. God will only give justification. Freely. I, always, I like to steal uh, Pastor Brian Clark from Lincoln Berean. He likes to say we, we all want to be like the little girl in the shake and bake TV commercials. You remember her? Right? Mom's the one that actually cooked the meal, but since it's shake and bake, she could put the little piece of chicken in the bag and shake it up. And in the commercial, she said, it's, somebody said, well, this is delicious. And she said, it's shake and bake. And then what'd she say? And I helped. Listen, that's what we want to be with God. We want to look at this beautiful meal of our justification and say, sure, God is the one that cooked it all up, but No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Your justification, if you have it, came completely freely by God's grace to all who believe. Now, be honest with me. How many of you ever thought, come on, it can't be that easy? I mean, seriously? All I, have to do is, all I have to do is believe in what God did. And he's going to say, I'm not guilty no matter how many sins I sin the rest of my life. It can't be that easy. How many of you ever thought that? It's natural. It's logical. Because we think about our salvation and our justification the wrong way. The fact that it comes to you and me freely does not mean it was free. Not at all. Look what Paul says. We are justified freely because of God's grace, but that was through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When Paul says that word, we've got a zero in that one. Zero in on that one next. To redeem something, that's a, that's a commerce word. For us, um, you go to the store and buy a gallon of milk, you have to pay the price that is required to remove that gallon of milk and take it home with you. That's redemption. But in Paul's day, this word he used would have brought one of two pictures to mind. This one's not a courtroom. This one is either slavery or being a prisoner of war. In the first century, there were millions of slaves in the Roman world. Almost all of them were slaves because of debt. Got them, there wasn't bankruptcy. You became a slave of the person you owed the money to you couldn't pay back. Your friends and family could get the money together and buy your freedom. That's redemption. Or if two nations went to war, decide that one would have all these prisoners of war they would take home. The defeated nation could buy their soldiers back. That's redemption. So Paul says, our justification, our 
being declared not guilty, might come to us freely as a gift, but the price was very high. The redemption, the price that was paid for us was the price of Christ Jesus. That is our redemption. The cross was, the, the, the cross was where the price was paid and it was incredibly high. And listen, after the cross, you don't have to pick up the tip. You don't have to pay the sales tax. Either Christ paid it all or you and I are, and we are still lost because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have nothing to offer. The only thing we added to our salvation, the only thing we brought to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And in the last two verses, Paul's going to to explain how the cross of Jesus Christ, why it went down the way it did, and what the cross was doing, why it went down that way to pay the price, why that was the price for our redemption, our justification. So Paul has just said, we back up, we are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Still talking about Jesus, Paul says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood or in his bloody death through faith or through his faithfulness. All this was to demonstrate God's righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Two things Paul repeats, or one thing Paul repeats twice. The redemption. Jesus' death on the cross was done, why? To demonstrate God's righteousness. It was done, why? As a demonstration, Paul says again, of God's righteousness. So here's the question. You all know what happened to Jesus at the cross, right? You've seen the passion of the Christ. Not much fun. I saw it once. I'm good after that. What Paul just said right here is that God put his son Jesus through that to demonstrate how good he is. What's righteousness? It's like goodness, perfection. Isn't that what Paul just said? God destroyed his son publicly to demonstrate what a good God he is. Now, does that seem weird? That wouldn't work for you or me, would it? If I publicly executed one of my sons, you wouldn't say, wow, what a good guy that Matt Maxwell is. How did this work for God? Remember, our salvation comes to us freely, but there was a high price to be paid. The price of our redemption was in Christ Jesus. Paul says, let's talk about that price that was paid. God displayed Jesus' bloody death publicly. Could God have gotten Jesus killed privately if he wanted? Could, uh, I mean, if you were one of the Jewish leadership that wanted Jesus dead, wouldn't that have made more sense? You think anybody ever raised their hand and say, hey, why don't we take him out back someplace? 
kill him quietly, hide the body, and move on. They weren't in control. God was. God was going to make sure that Jesus was displayed publicly in a bloody death that was a, next word we have to zero in on, a propitiation. A propitiation. That's such an old school, archaic word. Most of our Bibles don't even put it in there anymore. They try to use another word. That's the right word. A propitiation is something that turns away wrath or anger. I'll give you a little baby example. Let's say, and this is not much of a stretch, but let's say I do something that's so offensive, like it really makes you angry. Like you want to leave this church, you want to slug me, whatever. Like you, oh man, whatever it was I did, it really makes you mad. But then a few days go by and let's say I come to you and I do something that's so kind that it takes away your anger. Maybe I verbalize to you how what I did was so wrong. I ask for your forgiveness and I do something very kind to try and make it up to you and it, like it works. Your anger is just all gone. It could be said, whatever I did for you is a propitiation. It turned away your wrath. Paul says, Jesus going to the cross is what turned away God's wrath. So why did it have still? Why did it have to be public? And how does it show God's goodness? Paul says, this Sacrifice that is the only thing that will turn God's wrath away from us. And if, if everything we've studied in Romans so far is true, Romans 1.18 through 3.20, you and I are under God's wrath. Right? There's only one shelter from God's wrath. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other way we can approach God and have God's wrath be turned away because the cross of Jesus Christ is the only redemption. It's the only propitiation. It's the only place we can be sheltered. Here's what went on there. Here's how it demonstrates God's righteousness. Paul says, you see, in God's forbearance, he passed over all of the sins that were previously committed. All right, now what's forbearance? There's another word I don't know what it means. Forbearance is when punishment that should be handed out is postponed. That's forbearance. And what Paul just said is, God, since the very first sin, has been postponing and postponing and postponing and postponing and postponing punishment. Not everybody's, but those who believe. So God has been postponing punishment of sins previously committed. Quick time out, let me ask you another question. When OJ got acquitted, how did you feel? Oh, good for him. Oh, way to go. How'd you feel? Were you angry? Why? He didn't do anything to you. Why? It was unjust. Is it okay when people who are guilty go unpunished. Is that okay? No. 
That's why the cross was public. That's why the cross was public. Jesus was the only propitiation, the only thing that would turn God's wrath away. His bloody death was public. Why? To demonstrate God's righteousness. How does that demonstrate God's righteousness? Because God hadn't been punishing people for their sins, and we all know that's not right. It's not right when innocent, when guilty people go unpunished. And so God, for all time, he'd been forbearing sin. He hadn't been ignoring it. I I liken it to a gun. He just was loading his wrath. He sees every sin, and he puts more and more bullets in his gun, in his cannon, in his howitzer of his wrath. And he stores it up, and he stores it up. And the cross of Jesus Christ turns the barrels of that gun away from you and me. But if God doesn't fire that gun, God's not just. Because sin must be punished or it ain't right. So at the cross, God turns both barrels of that gun onto the only person who never deserved any wrath. And he let Jesus have both barrels. Why? To demonstrate I punish sin. You want to know what sin looks like to God? Watch the passion of the Christ on repeat. That's what sin looks like to God. That's what his wrath looks like for sin. And there is one place that you and I can be sheltered from that wrath being poured out on us, and that's if it was poured out on him. And God did it publicly as a demonstration of his righteousness. Because God wanted to be just. Now, let me ask you this. If God just wanted to be just, why would he send Jesus to die on the cross? I'll state it plainly. If all God wanted to do was be just, he would have never sent Jesus to die on the cross. You know why? All he would have had to do is punish you for your sins. And Jesus could have stayed in heaven with the Father. Last thing. It was a demonstration of his righteousness because God wanted to be two things. He wanted to be just. He wanted to punish sin. But he also wanted to be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Who is the one who has faith in Jesus? That's you and that's me if you have faith in Jesus. Here's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross. Sin had to be paid for. He could have let you pay for your own sin in hell forever and ever and ever. And Paul's already told us he would have been exactly correct in doing that. If all he wanted to be was be just, all he has to do is just punish us for our sin. End of story. But he wanted to be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does it mean to be justified? Declared not guilty. The only That's the gospel. That is the gospel. There's a place where the punishment your sin deserved was poured out. It has to be or God's not just. But he promised he would save some. And the only ones who are saved are the ones who seek shelter from the wrath of God in a place where it has already been poured out. 
You ever hear the story of the people crossing the prairie in the covered wagon, and in the distance they see smoke headed in their direction? And they look around on the prairie, there's nowhere to hide, there's this wall of flames coming in their direction. And the dad or the grandpa, whoever, he has this idea, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to light a fire and we're going to burn this big patch of prairie. And then we're going to get in there where the flames have already been. And they, they, they make this big fire and they let it go on. But out there and they get on that scorched earth so that when that fire comes, there's nothing there to burn and the fire goes past them and it goes on. I have no idea if that's a real story, but it's a great demonstration of what happened at the cross. The only reason you or I could ever be saved is not because God could ever look at us and think we were worth it or we helped or we did some religious things or whatever. He says not guilty. He says justified because the earth has already been scorched where we stand. His punishment has been poured out. And I hate to get a few chapters ahead, but then he's going to say, and now that's why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. And I just want to read it again for you while our musicians come up to close us. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Verse 22, the righteousness of God that comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all those who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is only in Christ Jesus. The one God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood. All this was to to demonstrate God's righteousness. He had to because in His forbearance, He'd been passing over the sins that were previously committed. This was a demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that God could be two things, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Maybe you have never understood what, why faith was important, why there are crosses hanging on churches. May today be the day you tell the Lord, your God, I understand. I believe. I deserve your punishment, but you've already poured it out. If you'll do that right now today, if you believe that, the gavel of the judge of heaven will drop and say, this one is justified. This one is no longer guilty. One day he'll glorify you and make you perfect like he wanted you to be every day of your whole life, but you couldn't. For now, we just hang on to our justification because the verdict has come in before the evidence has been collected. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really is good news that we cannot be good enough. But now, the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. It comes to freely as a gift, our justification if we just will believe that your wrath was turned away where your sin was punished, where our sin was punished on the cross. 
God, help us to believe. Grow us in this faith while we wait for our glorification and hang on to our justification. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.